Before we start this episode, I do want to share a quick disclaimer. This episode covers topics like trauma and sexual assault. With that, let's get on with the episode. I understand what it's like to be in pain in different reasons than you understand what it's like to be in pain. But again, how how do we heal together? How do we share our strengths and our vulnerabilities um, to create really a culture of healing? What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. As organizational leaders, we can't know everything that is going on in the lives of our employees, but what we can do is create the best possible environment for them to succeed. And for survivors of trauma, that means creating an environment of healing. This episode's guest is Anne Lauren, who is an author, artist, and advocate. She shares her story of childhood trauma and recovery through writing as a medium to express the significant intersections and urgent demands between spirituality, psychology, healing, and justice on individual and collective levels. In this episode, we discuss what leaders and organizations need to do to create a braver space and to progress our current systems to be more people first. Get ready and let's dive in. Today, I'm very happy to have my next guest, Anne Lauren, who is a longtime friend. We have actually worked together before, and she has an amazing story. And to introduce her, I have a word of praise from one of her friends who I have also gotten a chance to meet, Andrea Duell, who says, Anne is fill in the blank. I started this sentence so many times and couldn't settle on just one word. Anne is brave, beautiful, bold, silly, authentic, warm, creative. She's an artist, a poet, a writer, composer, a singer, an actor, a swimmer, a water polo player, horseback rider, dancer, healer, and adventurer. She's my friend who loves me unconditionally and knows my soul. Anne is a wayfinder who quests for truth, self-actualization, freedom, and justice. I used to worry about Anne when her quest would take her in a direction that I wouldn't take and when she made choices that I wouldn't make. But now I draw strength from Anne's conviction to live her own authentic life. So welcome to the Leading People for First podcast, Anne. Thank you so much, Chris. Wow, I'm going to uh, ask Andre if I can use that for my bio. That was <laughs> I know, I loved it so much. I'm like, oh, I do not have to write a, uh, come up with an introduction now. It's perfect. <laughs> so, um, you know, to start off, uh, again, I want to take note that this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation, um, especially for those who may have had or lived some of the experiences, as well as those who have not, who don't know how to have some of these conversations. I certainly have not had a conversation in this setting like this. Uh, so I may fumble, I may, you know, be learn, or I will be learning. Um, and so to start it off, it's important that we understand what kind of space this is. And Anne, there, you made a distinction right before we hit record about the differences between a safe space and a brave space. So can you share the differences between the two and what kind of space we're holding today? Yeah, thanks, Chris. There's a, um, a great way of thinking that I feel really inspired by, and that's really helped me in my own journey by Brian Arreo and Christy Clemens um, that differentiates safe space from brave space. Safe space being very significant in that um, the goal in safe space is to really hold space for people to share 
openly and honestly, whatever they're thinking and feeling, um, and to, um, to create kind of a, uh, a receiving and warm affect, uh, and a really receptive, um, mood and presence, uh, so that people can be received safely. Brave space, on the other hand, is about speaking honestly. It's about holding people accountable. It's about talking about things that might make people uncomfortable. And the ask there is really to, um, is to learn to hold space in your own body um, and and hold space for experiences that maybe you don't you don't have or you haven't had or um, maybe ex- uh, ideas or experiences that might challenge you and challenge your behaviors and challenge the ideologies you were raised with. Um, and the whole point isn't to make you uncomfortable, but it often uh, is the consequence of brave conversations. Um, and so if you don't mind me sharing, I am an incest survivor. Uh, and as a content warning, that is what we'll be talking about today. Uh, and so Chris and I are going to hold brave space um, to talk about uncomfortable things. Uh, and I ask you as a survivor uh, to, to try, I know it can be very uncomfortable whether maybe because you've had this experience or even if you have it and you're unfamiliar with it, try to really hold it in your body, engage the conversations with various parts of yourself and, and let it move you. It should, it should be uncomfortable. Uh, this is not a comfortable topic um, and it should hurt. It should hurt to talk about it. Uh, and the point of holding and hurting is, is to heal. Um, and so I ask that you heal alongside of me during this conversation. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, and I appreciate and just your willingness to be open and coming here to talk about it because again, it is, I I know how difficult this can be in certain situations and, you know, not everyone is comfortable with sharing and you've certainly had a long journey to get to where you are today to be, um, maybe not, I don't know if you're fully open or, you know, more open than you were before, especially when you and I had first met maybe what, four or five years ago at this point now. But um, I want to thank you for that. Um, to kind of start it off on a, uh, on, on a inspirational note, you know, you and I talked last week. So what has inspired you in this last week? I want to kind of bring us to a place of inspiration as well. What has inspired you this last week? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I published, so I'm an author and I share my story uh, in order to advocate uh, for uh, the end of sexual violence, especially against children um, and to raise awareness of sexual violence happening in the home um, because, you know, hashtag me too went viral back in 2017, uh, but incest and violence within family systems was, was basically left out of the media's coverage of that conversation. Um, and children are actually the most vulnerable to sexual violence um, because one, they're the most accessible and two, they're the least likely to tell. They're the easiest to manipulate. Uh, we know from perpetration behaviors that um, perpetrators intentionally choose people who are vulnerable, who won't tell uh, and who they can get, basically can get away with uh, their acts of perpetration. So children are super vulnerable. Um, so I published a piece uh, on the Bold Italic, which is a medium publication out of San Francisco. And it was about a swim that I did with my best friend, Tiffany in Aquatic Park um, and how healing swimming in really frigid cold water is uh, as a survivor, because it really forces me to be embodied 
um, which is really healing for uh, me because I spend so much time disembodied or disassociated or depersonalized, the psychological community calls it, which means I spend a lot of time kind of spiritually hovering over my own head, observing the world and observing my life um, because my body doesn't feel safe. Um, so in really cold water, I don't swim with a wetsuit. It forces me into my body uh, because my physical cues are the only way um, for me to know when I get too cold and need to get out um, and how like healing that integration is. And I published that um, and sent it to my swim community and just got the most beautiful reflections. Um, I, I sent it to them asking the question, how has the ocean healed you? And I got so many responses from incest survivors who were sharing for the first time what happened to them. I got responses from people with mental health issues um, that use the water as a place to just hold them. Um, it's, it's just like, it was such a common narrative that, that the ocean is so healing that, that kind of mother nature um, can really mother us in the way that we weren't mothered and really hold us and care for us. Um, and I was so inspired, one, to know that my like horrific history can really help shape the healing, you know, the healing narratives of others and draw that out. Um, but also that people were just so willing to share with me a total stranger, what my, what my writing, how my writing moved them. Yeah, that was a beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, I reread it this morning and, um, I guess I'll get to that question right away. I'm jumping ahead in my questions, but, um, you know, that's one thing that I, I have really enjoyed has been your writing. You have, or I should say for me, it's incredibly immersive. Um, it allows me to get a glimpse into how you are feeling mentally, physically, and emotionally. You pull all those things seamlessly into your, your writing. And yet it doesn't feel overwhelming to me. Like it makes me like super uncomfortable that I can't keep reading, right? It makes me a little uncomfortable, but not like, oh my gosh, I have to like put this down, can't read it anymore. So how has writing helped you heal and build this network of support and community? Yeah, I love that question. I mean, first of all, thank you for reading the piece. That really honors me. Um, I started sharing my story. Um, so I had, like a lot of incest survivors, my, I, I repressed my memories um, as a child. So I forgot what happened to me. It's, a, it's, it's called betrayal trauma theory. And it's the idea that I can't, as a child, I couldn't hold the parallel reality that my father was both my perpetrator and my provider. And so my subconscious buried the violence, the, the um, memories of violence so that I could survive essentially and depend on this violent person for support. Um, so I, I, by 22, I was catatonic. I couldn't function from the unprocessed weight of uh, memories. And then by 24, after some years of therapy, kind of finding financial independence from my family system, the memories resurfaced. Um, and pretty quickly I told my micro community. So I just told my friends, I, I was a hot mess. Like they knew there was something wrong. We all knew there was something wrong. We just didn't know what, what the cause of it was. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was, it was almost, it almost felt celebratory when I found out it was like, oh my gosh, finally I have an answer. And now that I have an answer, I can actually solve this problem and like recuperate my health. So I've been doing that for 10 years now, like really immersive, intensive healing work to just to get to like a base level of functioning. 
Um, and when hashtag me too happened, I just felt so called like this inner scream. Like I had to share my recovery narrative. There were so many people, um, coming out with their stories. And I just felt like there was not a strong enough narrative, uh, at least covered in the media around recovery, around the possibilities of recovery, around modalities for recovery. Um, and so I really wanted to share and I started a blog and it just like poured out of me, my friends, I, I published a new post every day and my friends were like, will you slow down? Like we can't keep up. Like we love what you're doing, but like maybe once a week, you know, and I couldn't slow down, you know, it was yeah. just like a flood of everything I had experienced and all the healing modalities and just me really trying to make sense of my own experience and to put it into to words and to gift it to other people so that it could help them. Um, and then I, I've just been really surprised at how naturally and organically it's grown. Um, I mean, it's grown slowly, but eventually survivors wanted to publish on my blog. So I opened it up to others. And then I started being asked um, by other people um, to publish on their platforms. Uh, and then I started reaching out to kind of the the big magazines. So now I'm published in Yes Magazine, Elite Daily, Arcadia, uh, Miss Magazine, um, and shared my story there. Um, and it's been really beautiful how, uh, you know, the incest survivor community is definitely, I think, a bit hidden, even within kind of rape recovery networks. Um, but we're strong, and we're present, and, and we're uh, possible. Like there's just, there are so many survivors who are creating really awesome things um, from art programs to publication programs to retreats. Um, there are some or organizations that are like specifically focused on childhood sexual abuse survivors. And I had no idea. So the more I started writing and the more I let myself be seen that the more these resources became available to me and these amazing people who were either survivors or allies of survivors, um, I, I can, was able to connect with them. Um, so, and now I'm a full-time writer and it's terrifying and exciting and uh, really trying to like make this my main source of work and source of income. Um, and it's such a gift to just, it's such a good way to integrate something that stays with you for a lifetime. Um, you know, there, there's a great book called, uh, from Bessel van der Kolk called the body keeps the score that really shares that, you know, childhood trauma really grows within you. It develops with you. I have complex PTSD, which is, um, a disorder I'll carry for a lifetime that really affects my life. So being able to, um, constantly digest and integrate the pain of my past, um, into kind of the beauty and possibility and safety of my present and then gift it uh, into the world to help others heal is such a gift, like not just for me, uh, but hopefully also for the people who are reading it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, uh, uh, something that popped into my mind, right, as, as you were as you were sharing how you first started writing and it started coming out daily. And I think I would count myself in that, in that group being like, Whoa, this is a lot, right. It's not, <laughs> it's not just like, you know, this is a weird question to ask, but how do you, you know, as a survivor of trauma and abuse, you know, as someone like myself in a support function, we want to be in, as supportive as possible and provide space and provide that support for those that, 
are around us who we know who have gone through that and to help and support in their recovery. When uh, someone comes forward like you did and has just so much to come out with, how, like, is there a balance that needs to happen between survivor and the supporter, right? In this case, because again, someone like me who might feel overwhelmed and A, just not know what to do, but B, like, we want to encourage you and are happy for you that you're able to come out and share. But at the same time, like, there's so much information and emotion coming out that we don't know how to handle it. So is there a balance there or what is an appropriate thing for someone like me and my situation to move forward with if uh, whoever's listening may have to deal, not deal, but have, have that happen in their lives? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Um, so I think that in my case and in a lot of, you know, survivors are not a monolith just like any other marginalized population. So I speak for myself, I don't speak for everyone. Um, but in my case, I held in so much for so long that like when it was time to share, it all came out all at once. So learning how to self-regulate was something that is, a, was a, is, is continues to be a part of my healing journey. Um, and I had a lot of people in my life, just like you're saying, who didn't know how to handle it and kind of just uh, ghosted me, you know, just went silent mm -hmm. um, for, for years. Like therapy was my, was my best source of support because they were trained people, but it was also really heartbreaking and lonely because I did feel like my only friends were people I was paying. And I did, I did really wish that we had a more trauma informed culture that could hold more empathy and compassion um, for people in that stage of the healing process, which again is very emotive um, and very kind of almost like tidal wavy when it comes to emotional expression. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also important to note that developmental trauma has lasting uh, brain, like physical brain trauma on, uh, on the limbic system, um, on your kind of survivor parts. And so survivors are naturally often going to be more sensitive. They're naturally going to be more emotional. They're naturally going to be kind of more trigger, like trigger sensitive. Um, so I think the best way to hold survivors in, in, in safe space and allow them to just share openly, uh, is to become trauma informed. Um, so a lot of my support people are survivors who have done the similar work as me. And there's, you know, a real gift in not having to educate, <laughs> you know, um, and then there are people who are really willing to learn. And that's really awesome. Like, I feel really grateful for the people who are willing to listen and willing to learn and willing to hold space for me. But it's always easier when I don't have to educate people. So it's always easier if, you know, if you've read books like The Body Keeps the Score or The Courage to Heal by Ellen Bass, which is kind of a conglomeration of survivor stories, um, or like Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman. There's a lot of resources out there um, that can teach people how to be more trauma-informed so that when someone is hyper-emotional or hyper-reactive, you can put it in within a trauma-informed context and meet them with compassion and understanding opposed to you becoming reactive also, because it seems like they're being kind of disproportionately 
emotional or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you can start to kind of make the connection to be like, oh, I understand why this person is triggered by this particular power dynamic or um, that like what that person just said, like how that felt maybe a little icky to me might feel really icky to that person. Um, And so the, the survivor doesn't have to do all the work or explain herself or himself or themselves. Um, so is that helpful? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that really makes a lot of sense. Um, and that education is, as you said, very important. Um, because I think that the more we learn, the more comfortable we, we get with it. Right. Um, yeah, it just normalizes it. Right. Like we, we start to understand and it becomes more of a, um, you know, I, I find that people can be so compassionate. I, I sprained my ankle once and had like crutches for a week and people were so accommodating and so compassionate. And I just, I remember wishing I could like wear a sign that says I have PTSD and like people would know, and then they could just could like show me the same amount of compassion. So there, what, what's so exciting is like trauma informed literature and resources and theories and trainings are becoming really popularized and really accessible. So if you, you can just Google trauma informed videos or trainings, and there's even free resources out there. Um, the more trauma informed everyone is not just for others, like for yourself, all of us have experienced trauma and to the degree of which we've experienced trauma is different. Um, but especially in America right now or in the world right now, there's so many trauma dynamics being played out in race, in gender, um, in, uh, uh, you know, in, in sexism, in ableism, there's so much trauma in the world. And so the more we're all healers for ourselves and others, like the better we're all going to heal together. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. If we can come to a place of healing and, and, and that understanding and compassion, it would make such a big difference because I'm hearing a lot of parallels to what you're saying around, um, holding space for those who are survivors with those who have been marginalized or oppressed in other groups, like people of color, like the LGBT community. Right. So that, there's a lot of parallels to draw from that. And I think that that's incredibly important. Um, And compassion and empathy is that kind of common thread. Yeah, I really love what you just said. I, my own experience is that our, our pain can really bind us um, together and help us fight for, for these common causes. I really love um, Kimberly Crenshaw's intersectionality framework um, that really, again, kind of holds the complexities of uh, various types of discrimination individually and systemically. Um, and that, you know, I really hope that opposed to our pain uh, being sources of division, that our pain can really be a source of sources of communion um, that helps us to say, like, I understand what it's like to be in pain in different reasons than you understand what it's like to be in pain. Um, but again, how, how do we heal together? How do we share our strengths and our vulnerabilities? Um, to create really a culture of healing um, opposed to what I think we're in right now, which is just really like a culture of survival and uh, pretty uh, deep oppressor oppressed dynamics, uh, which I think we need to break the cycles. Yeah. I, I love the way that you, f- you frame that, right? It is moving from evolving from a culture of, of surviving to a culture of healing, because that is something we absolutely have to do mm-hmm. there's healing that needs to happen on so many from so many angles 
even though, again, if someone may not have experienced trauma to the extent that you have, there's still some, there's still healing that needs to happen. And there's also healing that needs to happen between people. Yeah. Right. And um, again, this is something that I, I really love about you and your work is that you're not only helping others heal and from their trauma, but you're also, again, raising awareness, educating those of us who had no idea and you are creating these communities. And this is why I think you're a great people first leader because you have this mindset of healing and growth and understanding of others and their their own pain. So what does it mean to you then to lead people first? Yeah, I think that my experience has really taught me the importance of honoring people people's needs and people's desires and the, the wholeness of someone's nature. Um, being an incest survivor makes me a very complex person. Um, what complex PTSD does is it actually splits your consciousness. It splits your brain into kind of a variety of people uh, at different phases of the trauma. If you have unprocessed trauma, unprocessed memories, um, then you end up holding kind of almost like a number of, of inner children inside of your own body. Mm -hmm. And you have to constantly manage this like internal family system as some psychologists call it. I forget who came up with the term. Um, uh, and it's a lot of work. Uh, and so my experience in corporate America, for example, it was really complex because there's an expectation in kind of traditional professional environments that I would leave my personal problems at home and come to work and just be a professional and get my work done and go home. The problem is, is I can't leave my brain at home and I can't leave my body at home and I can't leave all my parts at home. Like they all come with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and because a lot, you know, the, the systems of corporate America are still very patriarchal. They're still very um, kind of white and male dominated. Um, the, the hierarchies, because I, was raised in a white kind of supremacist patriarchal system, the hierarchical power structures were very triggering for me. And it was never a place I felt safe. And because I wasn't allowed to bring my problems to the workplace, I also had no one to share that with. I couldn't talk to people about the fact that I was managing this really intensive recovery process while losing my whole life. Like I lost my family. I lost my mind. I lost my health. Like I lost absolutely everything um, and was really just trying to make ends meet and pay for my healing process because the medical system doesn't support mental health financially in so many ways. I had insurance, but I was still paying for most of my support out of pocket that I was just managing so much. Um, and I had, I had no one at work who, who could really support me and help me um, because of, of uh, what I think are kind of profit first or business first uh, dynamics that have ruled corporate America for, you know, the last however many years. And so being people first is all about really holding both safe and brave spaces for the wholeness of every person in the room, um, for the intersectional complexities that every person in the room may present. Um, even the person at kind of the top of the privilege hierarchy, right? Like toxic masculinity is no one is born toxic masculine. Like that is, that is taught to people. Mm -hmm. Um, ignorance is taught to people. Like our educational system is, 
is very broken and it does not teach people well. And so we are all victims of this system um, and we have to reteach each other and we can do that in safe space and we can do that in brave space and we can do that in spaces that say that the whole person is dignified uh, the whole person is holy, the whole person deserves to be here. And in fact, there are lots of studies done that show or that, that have shown that the more kind of we have these whole people showing up to workplaces and, and being honored, the more productive we are yep. because we want to be, because we feel seen, we feel heard. Like I will honor the fact that I have a disorder that and a disability, but I will also honor the fact that I am immensely creative, that I have a red flag brain like you have never seen. Like I have been <laughs> tracking perpetration patterns my whole life and I can point in the room, I can tell you just by, before anyone even talks, like by body language and by energy, like who's who's the alpha? I can tell you, you know, like yeah. who's gonna be the problem? Like who's gonna be, a, I can tell you because my body is so tuned to these dynamics and those skill sets can be so important. Um, in a professional environment. And so there, there's so much that I have to share, um, but there was also so much that I needed help holding and I didn't have that support. And so I left, I mean, I, I left corporate America. That was my, um, my choice. And I, you know, and I'm still trying to make ends meet with my kind of be as an artist and figuring that out. Um, but I think leading people first is, the future. It's the only way if we want to not, again, not just survive, but really thrive as a species. Yeah. Well, um, to really show just your, your leadership capability, I'll read something that Christopher Moreland shared with me, who said, Anne is a servant leader who nurtures talent through her empathetic, confident, and encouraging demeanor. She knows how to challenge people while understanding their limitations in context. Anne is efficient, but not pedantic. She creates clear policies and procedures for routine tasks to enable more time for creativity and reflection. So, you know, when we, when we look at the, just, I mean, I had this down as a question, but I mean, you, you essentially answered it, but the thing that frustrates me has been, and I'm sure you can hear it as well, are those executives or those managers who are like super cost conscious and they put the bottom line over their employees and they say, well, why is it our responsibility as a company or is it, why is it my responsibility as a leader to fix or support like something that they see as a personal problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, like that side outside of work. Um, and so how do we get to that space? Cause I think you've already outlined the benefits is because when you do allow that person to fully come to work, that, it creates a space for them to be able to not only, again, not only heal, but feel safe to actually do the work that they need to do. Mm -hmm. um, but how do we get there? Like, how do we start shifting to creating those spaces? Yeah, I really, I mean, I really appreciate you at just first kind of calling out that, that attitude, those ideologies, those people, those narratives, because that's so true. That is kind of a block in our, in our progress. Um, and I think that uh, the personal is the professional, just like the personal is the political. Like that's like a feminist rant from the seventies that, yeah. that is still true, you know? Um, 
And again, I think my, the advantage of being an advocate and an incest survivor is, is that everything for me is so personal and that I have to always bring all my persons to the table. Um, and really, I think, unfortunately, the, we have to meet people where they're at in the sense that if they feel, if some leaders feel that they need it to be proven to them that holding safe and brave space within professional environments, creating spaces for the whole person in a professional environment uh, is going to benefit them if they need data, like more and more. So we have that data, right? Yeah. We have the data that more diverse um, cult cultures are benefit business. We have data that a four day work week benefits efficiency. We have data that suggests that more women in the workplace, right? Like more women, female leaders makes businesses more effective. If people don't want to believe the data, if they want to stay kind of um, heads down and rooted in their own um, principles and pedagogies, like th there's a conservatism in that behavior that, that we may not be able to shift. Um, and unfortunately we have to be realistic about that. And hopefully like there will be someone else who's a leader in the organization uh, who will then continue to promote more diverse thinkers, more progressive thinkers um, in order for this data to be revealed in that particular business. That what we'll start hopefully to acknowledge and to notice is that these um, kind of traditional ways of thinking, behaving, acting um, are limiting us. And if you are going to stay rooted in those systems, then you are not going to be a leader <laughs> because you're not helping anybody. Yeah. You know, you're not helping the business. You are restricting the business with your antiquated beliefs. Yeah. And so we just, we, we just need people who think the way we do to keep getting <laughs> higher and higher and higher on the, on the, the, these kind of professional, unfortunate hierarchies that still exist so that we can shift the system, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the, the current president administration has been such a good reflection of that, at least so far, not to make yeah. this political, but the yeah. personal is political. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, um, that's such a, it's such a good point because we have to, like the, these systems and ways of thinking are outdated. They, they, they stem not only from a patriarchal culture um, and system, but they also the system itself is comes from the industrial revolution. That's over a hundred years old at this point. Like in what other, you know, kind of industry or way of working would that be okay? Right. Everything evolves, everything progresses, everything gets better over time, except for this like one way of thinking, which has perpetuated, perpetrated our is that even the right word perpetrated our, our society? So we have to, we have to find ways to move beyond that because it's only serving one group and one type of person. And so we absolutely have to allow for more voices to move forward and help us move forward. Um, so I thank you for, for bringing that up. Yeah, I also think it's an illusion to believe that like white supremacist patriarchal ideologies actually serve white men. I don't think they do. I think that it, it, it gives them an illusion of control and an illusion of power. Um, 
and puts kind of control and power on some pedestal and says like, this is what it means to be human. And this is kind of the highest form of, of flattery or the, or the highest potential for fulfillment. And I don't think that's true. Yeah. And so like connection, authentic human connection, um, I think, and, and really authentic express self-expression, I think are really like, and safety are like the foundations of happiness. Yeah. And so if you're taught that, that wealth and power and control are going to make you happy, are going to fulfill you, and then you get there and the rest of your life, the whole point is for you to just maintain it. That does not sound like a happy framework to me. That does not sound like a fulfilling or a thriving or a healing framework. Yeah. That sounds like everything counter to that, yeah. you know? <laughs> so it, the, the whole system to me is fostered under these delusional principles um, that I, again, I think that kind of re-educating through healing, through remodeling, re deconstructing and reconstructing is going to help us really create, recreate um, the system in a way that, that we've never experienced before. And that's something as a survivor that I really like to talk about. There's a lot of reclamation language in survivor culture that like you have to reclaim yourself and I can't relate to it. I've been abused since I was two years old. I've never had a self. I've never known a self like that, that isn't sick or that isn't a survivor. Like for me, it's not about reclaiming anything. It's that it's about creating something for the very first time. And I can relate that on a macro experience to our role as Americans, to our role as global citizens, that we have never lived in a world of peace and prosperity for all people. And that we have the opportunity to create that. Every generation has the opportunity to create that a little bit more. And when you are creating something for the first time, it takes a level of courage and awkwardness uh, and discomfort that reclamation would assume it wouldn't take if we're, if we're reclaiming something that we're, that assumes a, a sense of familiarity, but I'm not familiar with healing, what it's like to be healed or happy or at peace or out of conflict, even like, I, I don't know what that's like. I'm experiencing that for the first time. Um, I think our survivor brains, like our limbic systems aren't good at being unfamiliar with things, right? And so we wanna stay in the status quo because that feels familiar. It's not safe, it's familiar. So really jumping out of that, jumping into our kind of more existential minds, jumping into places that we places of peace that none of us have experienced before and building from there is so exciting to me. Wow, that is a, that is a very powerful way to... I almost want to, I think I just want to end it there because I mean, that is just such a great call to action for us to just, I mean, I, I can't even put into words right now <laughs> what, you know, what you had just, what you had just shared because it, it's so, it's so incredibly powerful. Like really, it really is moving to me. So I'm going to have to like, you know, go back and re-listen to that because <laughs> that was amazing. Um, so, I mean, as we, as we close out, um, you know, what is the impact that you want to have on those that you lead? Um, I appreciated Andrea's reflection in the beginning of her observations of me is I want to be the brave one at the front of the pack, just doing all the crazy things and taking all the crazy risks and showing people that it's possible. Um, I think there's this old again, kind of feminist framework that you can't be it if you can't see it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we really need models and we need pioneers. And as much as I like sometimes hate that in myself that I am like always the one jumping over cliffs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to find new ways of doing things and to create new ideologies and to explore unexplored territories. Um, to me, that that is the only way to survive because I'm so triggered constantly I feel so unsafe in the world because everything is really a reflection of white supremacist patriarchy. So few, so few communities or ideologies are, are free of, of, of that reflection um, that for me, the only option is to pioneer a new path. So I, I feel very comfortable uh, in that role for the most part of like kind of being alone and like being a solo explorer and like just clearing out the, the, the bush so that people have an easier way uh, to get through it behind me so that there is a road created for them uh, that they can walk. Um, recently, I, I was on a road trip. Uh, I moved from Seattle to San Diego and I was driving and I was feeling so grateful for how all the people that build those roads so that I could easily drive from Seattle to San Diego. And I just, I just want to be the road builder so that other people can just like breeze along through, you know, like healing, especially for incest survivors, there would be a clearer path and a clearer road and it will be more accessible and it will be easier to access. And maybe at some point healing will even be enjoyable, like (laughs) not my experience, you know? Um, uh, but that's what I want so much for other people is, is, is really to, to just, to just pave a path, uh, that makes, um, this leap from kind of, again, survivor functioning or their survival mind to kind of the thriving, the existential, the, the peaceful, uh, the fulfilling mind that that and experience that 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 road is is paved and clear and, and easy and maybe enjoyable. Ooh, I love that. And I think you certainly are doing that you're bringing community together. Um, and I will close on Robin Imholtz praise for you because I think it very much embodies what you just said. And Robin said, Anne is a force. She's incredibly determined to live her own life and the way she embraces change is inspiring. She has changed career paths multiple times when she discovers that a current job is no longer serving her. And I think we need so much more of this in people. She talks about topics that are hard to discuss and she probes you to think deeper about your beliefs and responses to various things. So many people want to live this way, but Anne truly does. She's inspiring and I'm honored to call her a friend. So Anne, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. What do our listeners need to do next? Um, that's a great question. I mean, I'd love for you to read my writing. You can find me at annemlauren.com. That's A-N-N-E-M as in Marie Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N.com. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about at least my experience with incest and recovery, um, there's also a resources page on my website that you can find um, other resources um, to learn more about, uh, you know, be, again, being trauma-informed and whatnot. Otherwise, um, I, I just ask you to educate yourselves about uh, childhood sexual violence in particular, but also about trauma-informed theory, trauma-informed living, um, and to commit to healing. We, we all need it. Uh, so committing not just to 
uh, healing ourselves, but being healers for each other. Um, I think we'll, if we can really shift the world on, on individual micro levels, then I think we can expect some really big macro shifts. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm ready. Oh, I'm so ready. Well, Anne, the pioneer, thank you again so much for coming on. It was a pleasure talking to you again, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. At this point in our society and within the cultures of our organizations, we need to begin healing by allowing it and confronting the issues that have caused so much trauma and pain. Anne's story is one of bravery and power, and I hope she inspired you to pave your way forward to shift our systems to become more people first. Be sure to follow Anne and all of her amazing work, and if you liked this episode, hit that subscribe button and click share to send it to someone who needs to learn more about Anne's story and healing. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.